Alongside Matt Wyrick, we are here just after the conclusion of the NFL Divisional Round. It met in a regular season that was dominated by the likes of Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, three guys that will all finish on top of the MVP votes. Uh, all three fell in this Divisional Round. We will see none of them in Championship Weekend uh, being usurped by guys like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Derrick Henry, and of course, uh, you know, that other game there that didn't have any of those guys, the Vikings and the 49ers. It was a very fun week, a very wild week. Each game was uh, was very intense in its own right. Um, but Matt, welcome into the episode. What were your general thoughts on the weekend itself? Did you enjoy the football that we had? Definitely. I mean, I, don't, I would say that the games... didn't necessarily have the same thrill as maybe the wild card round we had you know two overtime games they were all within one possession very close all the way to the end you know Tennessee came out and just rolled over Baltimore you know the the 49ers didn't really let the Vikings make things close there uh, toward the end the the Chiefs obviously overcame a big deficit but by the end of the second quarter it was clear who was going to win that game and then of course Seahawks Packers that that one definitely came down to the wire so overall I would say the games themselves weren't super close but they were still exciting in their own right we, we saw a lot of really awesome individual performances out of a few of those players you just mentioned uh, and it was mm-hmm. you know just a, a lot of fun to see you know I, I would say that we wouldn't have expected all of these outcomes if we went into the weekend. So there are certainly some more surprising than others. But overall, I would say it was a fun weekend of football. Of course. And so we're going to dive right into each game. Uh, Let's start off with the one that I guess uh, probably went the way most of us all expected. That was the uh, San Francisco 49ers taking down the Minnesota Vikings 27-10. The Vikings coming off a very emotional victory over the Saints a week before, winning on the last play in overtime. Uh, The 49ers were one of the most complete teams in the regular season, and to me, I'll start right off where I I believe they just looked the best uh, from, you know, the first quarter to the fourth quarter, full 60 minutes. To me, they had the most uh, complete performance on offense, defense. There was a point early on where, you know, they had the long touchdown to Stephon Diggs, and it was 7-7. It was like, okay, where's this game going? 49ers enter the halftime up four points, but it, it seemed a little bit bigger uh, of, of a lead for San Francisco and then they carried on through in the second half uh, and, and are going now after picking second in the draft last year they are finding themselves in an NFC championship game uh, Matt taking a look at the 49ers first because we'll talk about the Vikings in a second what was your biggest takeaway from what we saw with San Francisco well you know this was just kind of the formula that we've seen all season I mean you know toward the end of the year San Francisco's offense really got rolling and it was dropping 30 and 40 burgers you know left and right and that wasn't what we really thought the the 49ers identity was Jimmy Garoppolo was coming into his own the the running game was was absolutely taking over we saw some huge performances from George Kittle Uh, but overall it, it felt like the defense was the identity behind this team and the offense you know would do just enough to win this game and that's what I felt like happened here you know Jimmy Garoppolo 
Buffalo. Rather pedestrian performance, all things considered, through an interception. Mm-hmm. Had one touchdown pass, 131 yards on 19 attempts. But he wasn't really needed because, you know, the, the defense set the tone. The rushing attack drowned out the clock. And, you know, that's how San Francisco was able to kind of cruise to a victory here. It was, you know, up to the Vikings offense, in my opinion, to force the issue and force Jimmy Garoppolo to win the game for them. And something that I, I admit, I, I doubted that he could do throughout the year, but he proved several times that, you know, when he needed to step up, he could do it. Uh, but the the Vikings never even got to that point. You know, the Cousins wasn't able to repeat the performance he had a week ago against the Saints. And overall, you know, Dalvin Cook just absolutely disappeared. It was just kind of a weird mm-hmm. game for the Vikings. And so San Francisco was kind of just able to stay true to itself and cruise to that victory. Yeah, it, it was a dominant performance on both ends, especially in the second half when they really pulled away. And you take a look at the Vikings, and like you were saying, Dalvin Cook, who really was the the drum of this offense in the regular season, he was banged up for a few weeks, and the passing game kind of took you know, an advantage over that as well, too. But there were seven straight three and outs by the Vikings offense. Of course, Kevin Stefanski immediately after hired by the Cleveland Browns in a move that, look, we don't know a ton about the guy, and we, we can't predict how moves are going to go. But it was funny to see that the two finalists were um, were Robert Sala, Sala, if I'm saying that right, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, and Kevin Stefanski, offensive coordinator for the Vikings. And, of course, uh, the losing team, uh, was, you know, the one that came away, the loser of that position, uh, you know, ended up coming away as the next Browns head coach. But really, it, it, it's like you were saying, you know, the, the Vikings weren't able to turn a lot on offense. They got down quick, which, you know, given, you know, the, in their game against New Orleans, they really could have more of a balanced attack. They had to go a little bit pass happy towards the end, even though Cousins did only attempt 29 passes. Uh, look, they just couldn't get things going with Cook. He averaged two yards a carry. And that really took away a huge part of their offense. And so now Minnesota, you know, in a position where they're going to go into the offseason, you know, a new offensive coordinator will come through the door now that Stefanski is gone, have to reshuffle things through. But, you know, given the playoff win, I think they can enter next year with a little bit better of a feeling, knowing knowing now that they've got their guy that has a playoff victory, albeit not a, a dominant performance by him, but... You know, what were your impressions on, I guess, the Vikings season? And then would you say Vikings fans should be disappointed by the outcome? Or did they kind of just run, run, you know, you know, the most uh, that they could get out of this team? Well, you know, the common talking point right now seems to be that the offense needs addressing. And, you know, from a personnel standpoint, can you really get much better? I mean, obviously, Kirk Cousins <laughs> is an otherworldly quarterback, but he is given all of the tools that he needs around them. I mean, between mm-hmm. Thielen and Stefan Diggs in the receiving game, Kyle Rudolph is a more than capable tight end. Uh, the offensive line graded out pretty well this year, a, a little bit above league average. And, of course, you have Dalvin Cook at running back with Alexander Madison, who stepped up well uh, in his absence several times so it's not like you know he has a a lack of players or an obvious need around him and they're locked into cousins you know he's got to be the guy uh, at least financially they're they're not really going to be able to go any other direction at quarterback so if you really feel like offense was the issue what do you do? That's my big question. You know, obviously Stefanski's gone, so there's going to be uh, some kind of, you know, coaching change there where we'll have somebody else come in and maybe bring in a, a different look. But Mike Zimmer told reporters after the game that continuity for Cousins was going to be the big focus. So if you're mm-hmm. going to find somebody who brings in a similar system, how are you improving the Vikings ceiling? 
You know, Minnesota's defense overall graded out fifth in points allowed per game, second best red zone percentage in the NFL this year. But the the total volume of yards wasn't great. They were around middle of the pack there in both passing and rushing. So, you know, you might think that if the defense was getting a little bit lucky, then it's going to be prone for regression next year now. Right. The secondary is going to have a lot of question marks. Anthony Harris and Trey Waynes are among several free agents. Uh, Mackenzie Alexander as well. All who are going to be free agents this offseason. So they're going to have some questions uh, up front and out back in the secondary as to what their defense is going to look like. Obviously, they also just let go their defensive coordinator, George Edwards. So they're going to be needing a new guy there. Uh, of course, Zimmer, you know, being a defensive-minded guy, we'll probably see a similar look defense out of the Vikings next year, but there's going to be Mm -hmm. some new personnel. They can't really go up very much from here. I think the only thing that you could hope for is, is a better secondary. You know, Xavier Rhodes isn't, isn't the guy he used to be. Maybe you can find, it's a good, you know, free agent class for corners. Maybe you find somebody to pair up with him, but that's a lot of money that you're pumping into the cornerback position with Rhodes already locked up to a pretty hefty deal. So, you know, I, I don't know where the Vikings go from here because what is their ceiling? You know, if, if the, is yeah. their ceiling really winning one playoff game? You know, that's that's something we thought out of the Titans. That the, we'll get to them in a little bit, but you know, we thought that the Titans, you know, maybe winning one playoff game could be considered a successful season, and they're clearly not done with that. With the Vikings, mm-hmm. you know, they've they've been here several times. You know, they've won a playoff game. Uh, you know, not with Cousins. They they had Case Keenum obviously beat the yeah, Saints a couple not. of years ago. But yeah. we saw, you know, this team with with most of the personnel that's that's there right now go to the second round, go to the divisional round, and and be able to play for the chance to go to an a, NFC Championship game. But they just weren't able to do it. So I don't know what the the move is here. But I feel like the Vikings are kind of plateauing, and they they need yeah. to do something to kind of rejuvenate this team because as of right now, they just don't look like a powerhouse team in a, a pretty stacked NFC. No, I, I completely agree with you, and that brings up a, a great point that I want to address with one of the Sunday games when we get there, but they're kind of stuck in in purgatory right now where I don't think they can get that much better. Maybe their offensive line could use some improvement, but if Kirk Cousins is their quarterback, if Mike Zimmer is their head coach, one playoff win you know, a couple of years back, like you were saying there in the NFC Championship game, to me, this team just doesn't have the makings of a Super Bowl, and at that point, yeah, you can be happy with consistently making the playoffs you know, maybe making a little run and maybe, you know, a bounce goes your way and you can get to a Super Bowl. But at a certain point, it just seems like, okay, how much further can this team go? But do you really want to risk retooling new head coach, new quarterback with the odds of things not working out as well and you falling behind? So um, very interesting to see what they'll do this offseason in order to help. I definitely agree a number two corner. I definitely think that some offensive line help will also go a long way too. But you know, this Viking season ends, and I, I think this was the most we could have expected out of them. And so I feel like, you know, hats off to them for, for getting that win against the Saints uh, a week ago. And look, you know, they, they went into halftime down four to the 49ers, who played one of the best games um, that we saw, you know, last weekend. So um, hats off to them. And, and then one last thing for the 49ers before we move on. Just looking ahead to their next opponent, we know that it's the Packers, and we're not going to touch on that game yet. Uh, that'll close out the show. Man, look, I know they met earlier in the season and the 49ers just flat out destroyed them. But the way that we saw with this Packers game and how they were able to jump out to early leads, and they've been consistently one of the better first quarter teams in the NFL, 
Um, Jimmy Garoppolo's performance really didn't inspire me that he is going to be a guy that is able to come back in second halves. He seems to be a guy that is good with the lead, good with protecting the ball, good with, you know, leaning on the run game. Um, Just my thoughts. I know we're going to preview the conference championship games later this week, along with some other talks. We're not just a football podcast. We will get in some baseball and basketball discussions later this week. Um, But for the time being, you know, just my quick thoughts. I'm a little nervous. I think the 49ers definitely are the better team than the Packers, but say Green Bay jumps out to a 10 or 14 nothing lead, and then all of a sudden you need Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball more than 19 times like he did on Saturday. I'm just a little worried about how that game could go. Early on, that is going to be a telling sign for that game. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Garoppolo come back from some deficits before this year. We, we had him come back against the Saints uh, back mm-hmm. on December 8th, that, that shootout of a game that ended 48-46. There was a lot of back and forth there in the second half uh, against the Rams right. in Week 15. Did the same thing. Uh, he led a big scoring drive against Seattle uh, there at the end of the year. So, you know, we saw a, a couple of times where he's had to do it. It just felt like, you know, the the offense didn't feel like Garoppolo needed to play a big role. So I, yeah. I think I think you're right in that Jimmy G is definitely a player who can be relied on to not lose the game for you. And it's mm-hmm. definitely more of a question of can he win it? But we've we've seen it before and you know, I've I've doubted him in the past and it has come back to bite me. So I, I'm right. leaning toward, you know, believing that he can do it and believing that Kyle Shanahan will put him in a position to be able to do so. Let's let's not get them wrong. You know, he is mm-hmm. what drives this offense. He is absolutely, you know, the, the heartbeat behind how good this offensive group has been this year. But overall, I agree there's there's definitely a lack of, of you know, history there because he hasn't done it in the playoffs. Uh, but at least, you know, this year, which has been his first full healthy season as a regular season starter, he's shown signs of being able to do something like that. Definitely, of course. And so that uh, matchup will be coming a week from or, uh, yesterday now. Uh, and so we will be catching the 49ers and the Packers taking off of what will be a very uh, classic kind of NFC matchup. If you think early 2010s when those two teams were going back and forth and, and just throughout history, it's going to be a very fun NFC championship game. Uh, but we're going to move on to... The most surprising uh, result of the weekend, uh, the Tennessee Titans dominating the Baltimore Ravens, uh, the the AFC favorite heading into the postseason, the number one seed. Tennessee marches in there, uh, flat out dominates early on, jumps out to a quick uh, 7-0 lead, goes into the half up 13-6, and then by the end of the third quarter, uh, it was 28-6, to and they just carried the game away. Uh, Derrick Henry was an animal. 30 carries for 195 yards. He is the first running back in NFL history to run for 180 yards in three straight games. Uh, Meanwhile, just like Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Tannehill didn't need to do much. He completed seven passes uh, of 14 attempts for 88 yards, did have two touchdowns. Uh, One of the best being a very long touchdown to, God, even I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Raymond, uh, on that play action, 45-yard score uh, to put the Titans up 14-0. Matt, Look, I know this lost a, a lot of money for the both of us in this game. It ruined a massive parlay that I had. Now that we're sitting back a couple days from this game, what was your biggest takeaway from the Titans in, in this huge upset over the Ravens? I mean, it's got to be that, you know, Derrick Henry is the player that we thought he was. I mean, we've talked a little bit about this. I'm not ready to crown him necessarily a top two, top three 
running back in the NFL right now. But, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's kind of had an up and down career. But now with this offense that, you know, he they've been able, been able to illustrate where, you know, Mar- Marcus Mariota was terrible out of play action. He just never was really able to, to pick up his reads, and it was a huge problem for him. And that's something that Ryan Tannehill has absolutely thrived on. And that's really given Henry the opportunity to expand, you know, his running portfolio a little bit, hit a couple of different gaps that he wasn't able to hit before, you know, the box is less stacked than it used to be because there was no threat, you know, on the outside with Mariota being able to throw it deep. But Ryan Tannehill, since he took over as starter, has the highest adjusted completion percentage on throws at least 20 yards downfield in the NFL, you know, so he is absolutely somebody who you have to be worried about throwing downfield. And that was the thing. He did it maybe twice in the, in the entire game. And one was a yep. touchdown pass and one secured a key third down conversion version and that was all he had to do i mean he only threw for what 88 yards in the game yeah 88 yards Mm -hmm. uh in in the game but he had two touchdowns was absolutely fantastic when he needed to be with only 14 attempts Uh, and then he just let derrick henry do the rest and it was kind of insane just the amount of production the chunk yardage that henry was able to pick up they were able to control the clock for most of the game and baltimore just came out flat you know we've seen the ravens uh, i think they went on a streak of seven consecutive games they scored on their first drive and that obviously didn't happen, and, and that just kind of set them back right away uh, where they weren't able to recover. They, they fell behind early. Lamar Jackson had 59 pass attempts. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a recipe for success. Uh, I do think Jackson is a fantastic passer and that, you know, s- some people are coming out and saying, well, this is just showing that the NFL is a passing league and Lamar's style won't translate to the playoffs. No. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that Mark Ingram, you know, off the um, option has been able to really provide steady production this year. And he was absolutely limited to only 3.7 yards per carry, uh, six rushes for 22 yards. They weren't able to rush like they usually are. Like I said, they usually get off to a hot start and are able to kind of control the tempo from there. But that was Tennessee's game. You know, Tennessee is all about, you know, what's going on in the trenches and uh, really controlling the clock. And and Henry was absolutely able Mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, certainly. And then on the flip side, the Ravens, uh, I think it was nine drives that finished within the Titans 40 yard line. Um, So they had a lot of opportunities, a lot of drives that were moving across the field, but they weren't able to put points on the board. Only 12 points to come out of this game uh, for one of the the better scoring teams this season. My biggest takeaway, uh, and aside from the fact that, you know, injuries during the game, you know, Mark Ingram coming in a little banged up didn't help them out. But one of the biggest things that I saw, I saw a frazzled Lamar Jackson. Yes, he looked great, 31 of 59 for 365, 143 yards on the ground. But when things stopped going right, and just to pull in a comparison, when Patrick Mahomes and his Chiefs were down 24 nothing, he was out there talking to every single player, trying to hype him up. And every time we saw Lamar Jackson throw an incomplete pass, throw an interception on the field. We saw him, you know, put his head down. He was getting irritated. And then when we went over to the sidelines, he was just sitting there and he couldn't believe it. He wasn't hyping up his teammates. We haven't really seen him in this position before. The last time we really did was last playoffs when they lost in that opening round of the Chargers. And now, you know, Lamar, he's got an amazing regular season record. He's 0-2 in the playoffs. It's an early career. He is such a young guy. But it was surprising to see kind of, you know, the polar opposites where Mahomes was leading and leading his guys on and Lamar was just kind of frazzled in over his head, it seemed like, and really just didn't have the great antics on the sideline and on the field to really, you know, help motivate his team to overcome a deficit like this. Yeah, I don't, you know, it's tough because Jackson is a kid, you know, relative He's so to, young. 
to NFL standards. Yeah. I mean, we've talked Joe Burrow is older than him, the, the Heisman winner older yeah. than the MVP this year. I mean, it's he's been a, a great leader, but you can argue that it's definitely easier to lead when things are going so well. Uh, I, I think that he is a team first player and somebody who mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, doesn't point fingers at anybody. And I don't think that oh, when no. things are going bad, that he's going to drag anybody down. But, you know, I, I see where you're coming from with that. Maybe he could have done a little bit more. I feel like the pressure was all put on him at a certain point. You know, the, the mm-hmm. Greg Roman obviously dialed up a ton of pass plays, you know, more pass attempts than he's ever had in a game in his career. Uh, and, you know, at that point it becomes, you know, just kind of on you. Uh, and obviously he was able to feed uh, Marquise Brown and, and he had a, a fantastic game but overall at the end of the day when you do lose two playoff games to start your career after pretty solid regular seasons especially this year obviously he was the MVP and the Ravens had the number one seed in the AFC but uh, a narrative is starting you know and and that's obviously Mm -hmm. something that as a young player you want to get out ahead of before you know it really catches fire and I wouldn't say that you know, right now I'm writing him off by any means. Like we said, he's incredibly no. young. He's he's only had two games in the playoffs, and sure, you know, he's going to have plenty more. You know, with the way that he looks like he's going to be, you know, in the MVP conversation for years and years to come. But I still think that you know he's got to come in next year and flip the script because if you you know do lose that third playoff game, you start getting into Kirk Cousins territory. Exactly, and so fortunately for the Ravens, unlike the Vikings. They've got a much brighter outlook coming into next season. They're going to return every offensive starter. Uh, they've got, I think, nine draft picks in the upcoming draft, 40-some million in cap space that they could use to you know, bolster just the depth of that roster. And, and both their coordinators as well, too, were up for head coaching positions, and neither of them ended up landing jobs. So they're going to reload, come back, and I'm sure they're going to be just as great next year. Uh, with this game, Matt, before we move on to Sunday slate, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Well, uh, just real quick, with the, mm-hmm. the Titans, obviously they're still playing, so talking about the offseason a little bit premature, but they have two big free agents coming up in <laughs> Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. Both of them, oh, yeah. their, their contracts are up. You have to re-sign Tannehill in franchise tag Henry, right? Like That's got to be the way that the Titans are going to navigate this offseason? I would think so. I, realistically, with Tannehill and the quarterback options that are out there, I think just now that he's got the groove of this team and they've made it to an AFC Championship game uh, this weekend, I think that's got to be the route that you go. Of course, franchise tagging a running back doesn't, you know, doesn't sound great, especially with the fact that we've seen running backs get overpaid and then not live up to their contracts. You've got guys like Todd Gurley that are, you know, limping now through with injuries. But Derrick Henry is is four years into his career. Uh, so I believe that he's got, you know, many good years ahead of him. That does seem like the most realistic situation because, yeah, I mean, if they can't bring back one of those guys or the other, that completely changes the outlook for this team. And so, um, you know, fortunately, they'll be able to shed Mariota's uh, number off the books. Of course, you know, being the number two overall pick has a, a large lump sum of change in his final year of his contract. So they'll be able to get rid of that money. They'll be able to uh, pay Tannehill, depending on if he wants to go a couple years and then a big extension, or if you know the Titans want to pay up now. But yeah, I agree. Doing that and then franchise tagging Derrick Henry probably seems like the best route to go in. Yeah, uh, I'm in firmly in the camp of not being willing to invest heavily in running backs. You know, past their rookie deals. Mm-hmm. I just I feel like there is well, great ways to replicate that production. However. Henry is obviously such a key cog to this offense yeah. that you have to bring him back no matter what. Now, if he's mm-hmm. 
if he's going to be huge on um you know wanting a, a major extension and even if he's franchise tagged he sits out training camp do you bring him back then you know well that that's that's really the tough question and you know i think that this offseason you have to find somebody who's going to be able to rotate in with him regardless just because mm-hmm. it, you know if you're going to want him to be your bell cow back you're going to need somebody to kind of be that number two guy and nobody's really been that guy for the titans this year i mean if we're talking about rushing yards this past game yeah, it's derrick henry ryan Tannehill, and an aj brown uh, jet sweep. That's it. Those are the yeah. only guys who had a carry in this game. So they obviously don't have anybody they feel comfortable rotating in right now. I think that you need to start, you know, start looking for somebody who could kind of be insurance for if Henry does walk or, you know, if he, if he sits out next season on the franchise tag, something like that. Yeah. And the other problem that you run into is say you franchise tag him, say he's okay with that, but then he continues up another season of what he's put out this year in the second half of last year and this postseason run that we've seen. Say he has another great season, then you're really going to have to pay. So you really have to value, okay, do we just try and get him locked in for four years now or take the risk of paying him the most money or the average of the top five next year and then having to make him the highest paid after that when you've got some rookies that are due for extensions or other guys. Uh, it really comes down to do you want to pay him big now and you know pay him for one big year and hopefully he regresses so you get him on a lower deal or do you just pay him up now to avoid the risk of having to dole even more cash next year? It's certainly it's going to be one of the most interesting free agent discussions to take a look at this year, especially at a position where we, like we were saying, we've seen a lot of guys, you know, David Johnson, Todd Gurley, both of them got massive extensions and both of them have started to fall off because running back is just one of those positions you can't count on long term. Uh, So it's certainly going to be an interesting one to watch. So let's move over now to uh, Sunday's slate. We had an amazing game there, Matt. Um, are you still here? Yeah, I'm here. Can I hear you? Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just making sure. I didn't hear anything for a little bit. I got a little nervous no, on you. Uh, so we had an unbelievable uh, game to start off Sunday's slate. Of course, the Mitchell Trubisky Bowl, Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson facing off the Texans, jumping out to a 24 to nothing lead. But the Chiefs, we saw it all regular season. They're one of the best teams in the second quarter. They did it before this season against, I believe it was the Chargers or the Raiders. But the uh, Chiefs come out. They rattle off 28 straight points to go into the halftime with a lead. Matt, I think their odds to lead at the half were plus 700 or plus 1700. I can't remember what it was. I know we both went at them at good money lines. I got them at 325. I know you got them at 165. I I went in when they were down 24 nothing just for fun. Yeah, I tried. I I tried, but they, I literally, I put press enter and then Mahomes threw that first touchdown pass. And so the odds updated right then. I know I was so mad because I was going to do it. But literally, it yeah. was like a 25-yard pass. They were cruising down the field, and I was like, all right, they're going to score here, and you know, I feel pretty good about that. But he literally threw it right then. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Right, and, and even when I put money in, I was like, maybe they can edge this one out by a few points. But, Matt, they rattled off on a 51-7 to run to close out that game, beating the Houston Texans by 20 points. The over-under was set at 51. The Chiefs did that all by themselves. Patrick Mahomes was unbelievable, and this is like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, and I've said for weeks before too, we've we've kind of let 
Patrick Mahomes slipped through the cracks just because of the amazing regular seasons from Lamar and Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. And Pat Mahomes was banged up for a few weeks. He had a couple down weeks as well, too. But he came out and he was unbelievable. 23 of 35 for 321, five touchdowns. He was also the leading rusher on the team with 53 yards. Of course, Travis Kelsey playing through an injury was phenomenal as well. 10 catches, 134 uh, through the air, and then three touchdowns as well, too. Uh, just a, an amazing game. I know it wasn't close at the end, and really going into the third quarter, I don't think any of us really expected the Texans to be able to fight back after just such a deflating uh, second quarter. Uh, but now we've got the Chiefs, and they're moving on to the AFC Championship game. I think this was something that a lot of people had locked in at the beginning of the season, or especially five weeks through. You could have said New England and Kansas City, New England, Baltimore, a mixture of the three. Uh, the Chiefs make it to an AFC title game for the second year in a row now, and uh, and behind a tremendous performance by that offense. Uh, Matt, general impl- impressions from this game? I think the, the most obvious thing is that Patrick Mahomes can beat you <laughs> any way he wants to. I mean, oh, you know, God. being down that much, it's obvious that it's going to have to come from him at that point. You know, when you're down 24 to nothing, the running game is not going to do anything. And it's not like the Chiefs running game has been anything special all year long. It's always been Patrick Mahomes just kind of have to carry the load. And that's mostly how they got to those 12 wins. Obviously, he missed some time there. Um, and they had mm-hmm. Matt Moore come in and, and do pretty serviceably. But... Overall, we knew that it was going to be up to Mahomes. And, you know, is he going to throw it, you know, 10 yards down the field at a time? Okay, great. We've got uh, Travis Kelsey there waiting over the middle of the field, able to jump over anybody, you know, in his path. Do they need to dump off a screen? Well, great. Damian Williams has got, uh, you know, plenty of capability to do that. Oh, is he going to stretch it down the field? Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill on either side both can do it. Uh, each had catches of at least 20 yards in the game. Sammy Watkins, of course, had that 48-yard catch uh, there. So overall, you know, he's got the weapons. He's got the talent. He obviously did some stuff with his legs, too. I mean, seven carries, 53 yards. He led the team in rushing at that point. You know, so he was able to really do whatever he wanted. The the Texans secondary wasn't good. And the fact that, you know, at the end of the first quarter that uh, Kansas City hadn't scored was pretty remarkable. You know, given the, the, t- the talent level of that Texans defense, I mean, Bill O'Brien said after the game that, the Texans knew they were going to have to score 50 to beat the Chiefs, and yet after scoring those 21 points in the first quarter, they kind of took their foot off the gas pedal, and they had some unlucky breaks certainly uh, there. But overall, you know, the, the Chiefs were able to take advantage of every opportunity. I believe it was six straight touchdown drives at one point in the game. I mean, yep. that's mm-hmm. just unstoppable. And so, you know, Patrick Mahomes is the, is the guy we thought he was. He's regained his MVP level form. Uh, and, you know, anybody who said they'd rather have Lamar Jackson than Patrick Mahomes moving forward <laughs> oh. was crazy. I mean, I love Lamar Jackson. Don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I was a believer that he was going to be the MVP by like week four. You know, and, and him and Russell Wilson were kind of neck and neck for a while. But I, you mm-hmm. know, held on to Lamar and, and definitely am not a Lamar hater at this point. But Patrick no. Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. I mean, the season when exactly. we saw him put together as a rookie, the 50 touchdowns, the 5,000 yards, he was just limited, you know, by injury this year. And now that he's fully healthy and able to put his talents on full display, man, it is something special to watch. I you you don't need to get me started. He, I love he's he's my biggest man crush right now in in life, not just sports. I, I'm obsessed with the guy, and I want to switch over to the Texans now because yes, they did catch some unlucky breaks in that game, but man, I, I've told it to you once, I've told it to you a million times. Uh, Bill O'Brien made some head scratching decisions uh, in that game, and so the first one. Fourth and one, four, fourth and inches, even before that, when they're up 21 nothing, they're in the Chiefs' red zone. It's fourth and inches. 
look, I'll give it to you if you say, okay, just kick the field goal to go up 24-0. That's still turning a three-possession game into a three-possession game if they went for two on every touchdown. So you don't up it one possession. You were fourth in inches. Everything was going your way. More so on my side, I'm all for just QB sneaking it. Even if you don't get the first down, the Chiefs are pinned very far back in their territory. And so then you miss out on an opportunity of four points going up 28 nothing. And say the Chiefs do have that amazing second quarter still, you still go into the halftime with a tie game. And, it, and it's, you know, 30 minutes left to see what you can do. Um, and then, of course, you kick the field goal. Even if you didn't get it, you pinned them deep in the territory. But then McCole Hardman takes like a 50-yard kickoff return, and the Chiefs have great possession, uh, field position to score that first touchdown. And then, of course, the next time the Titans have it, they're deep in the Chiefs. They're deep in their own territory. On a fourth and four, I want to say, they go for the fake punt. It doesn't go their way. The Chiefs are right back in their territory to score another touchdown. And uh, from there on out, you know, it, it just really never felt like the the Texans had control of that game, even up 24 to 14. Uh, momentum had shifted instantly. You give the home field advantage. You give Patrick Mahomes amping everybody up. To me, I, I, I've never been the biggest fan of Bill O'Brien. He's a head coach and GM for this team. And, you know, they, they're going to enter the offseason with no draft picks, limited cap space, and, and really they're going to have to shuffle a lot of things around, especially on defense to make things work. I just wasn't too impressed by Bill O'Brien at all. I came into the game knowing that I'm not a huge fan and, and he didn't prove me wrong. They got lucky to go up 24, nothing, you know, the chiefs fumbled the punt. Uh, they had another punt that was blocked. So, so that's two of the scores right there were basically just special teams hiccups. And, and uh, the Texans, you know, of course, after a 24-0 lead, only able to put up seven points the rest of the game. Uh, Matt, what did you think? Am I being too critical on Bill O'Brien? Because I tend to be usually, uh, but I really, really think he coached a, a terrible game uh, beyond the first quarter. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. You know, it wasn't a situation where it felt like, you know, the Texans offensively, were taking enough shots you know they mm -hmm. they if they come into the game saying they're going to need to score 50 points to win 50. it then why are yeah. you going to be complacent after a 21 24 nothing lead you know at mm -hmm. that point if you think that they can still score 50 despite the fact that your defense has done well you know you need to keep your foot on the gas pedal and i, I think the fake punt was a little ill-advised you know the the momentum at that point was already in the chief's favor and you know you have one bad play there and, and that's going to keep that going and you'll only get buried even further so th that one was definitely a big head scratcher to me i get the decision to kick the field goal there you know to go up 24 to nothing be just because one you, you make it a three it's still a three possession game but to convert all three uh two-point conversions is pretty tough so yeah. you know I, I get that oh, yeah. particular move I'm, I'm not uh, you know totally opposed to that um, but it, overall it just felt like they kind of took their foot off the gas pedal a little bit and it really came back to bite them yeah and then you look at the stats too it was like they took their foot off the gas pedal for one quarter and then all of a sudden you had to come back in the second half and Deshaun Watson had to throw 52 times to keep them in there um, so look they they got lucky in the first quarter with the, the way things went, and and with this Chiefs team, no lead is safe. And like you were saying, Pat Mahomes can win whatever way he does. So we're going to have a very, very interesting AFC Championship game. Uh, but the one thing I want to leave uh, with this game, 
heading into this offseason, both Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes are due for extensions, and both teams are probably going to act quickly on paying them now to avoid other quarterbacks coming in you know, this offseason and, you know, raising the bar for what those extensions might look like. Both of them are going to be handsomely paid. Uh, Matt, the rumors are Pat Mahomes is going to be a 40 million a year type guy. Where do you think Deshaun Watson can get paid? Because you could say he's doing just as much as Mahomes, but with a, you know, a, a, a lesser roster, worse defense, worse play caller. Uh, do you think Deshaun can get in that 40 range, or do you think he's like a 35, 37 million type quarterback? I mean, I think that it's definitely got to be at least 37, 38 plus. I I agree that Mahomes should be worth 40. And, you know, we talked Mm -hmm. about Dak Prescott earlier this year asking for $40 million. I would much argue that uh, (laughs) he is not in the same conversation as Watson and Mahomes. They're they're definitely above that. So if, you know, he's looking more like I think he was offered 35 by the Cowboys. Uh, That was the latest rumor that I think I saw. I would much, very much believe that Watson and Mahomes would be above him in that regard by at least a couple million. Now, it does come down to, does Watson want to re-sign with the Texans? I mean, you know, we haven't heard anything to the contrary, but that could be an interesting wrinkle. You know, he's been one Mm. of the least protected quarterbacks in the NFL over the past few years, and, you know, he took four sacks in this game, and that was hardly the worst game his offensive line had all year. The Texans have tried and tried again to address the O-line, but nothing has happened. Uh, so I don't know. I, you know, he's, he's kind of, he's not a big guy. You know, he's no Cam Newton when it comes to, to being a mobile quarterback. You know, he definitely takes his hits kind of like, um, we see with Lamar Jackson a little bit. I think they have a little bit more similar builds. So Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It's, if, if he is re-signed, which, you know, this would be the quickest way for him to make his millions, then, you know, I, I'd say 37, 38 million. And then Mahomes, Mahomes should absolutely be shooting for 40. Yeah, definitely. I, I I will say I don't think the Texans would ever let him out of the door if that's three franchise tags until, you know, maybe his value is down or he learns to love Houston. Um, it would be very interesting to find out. And then, yeah, I, I agree. He's going to make less than Mahomes. He should be in that same ballpark, though, because he's been tremendous. And, and one last thing that you were saying with the offensive line, they traded for Laramie Tunsil to be their starting left tackle, and he led the league in false starts this season. So a guy that, you know, <laughs> is very talented, but they yeah. they, they, they spent a lot of uh, a draft capital to get that 100%. guy. He, he's a good offensive lineman, but you're correct. They're, they are going to have to fix up that offensive line. It's another offseason where that is the biggest need. You also have to start thinking they're getting older on defense. J.J. Watt you know, came back and he looked good in those two postseason games, uh, but he's getting another year older. Whitney Merciless is getting older. They don't have Jadeveon Clowney anymore. They've got a yep. lot to figure out in Houston, and so um, unfortunately not able to get it done this year. The AFC South is going to be competitive next year. It, it, you know, the Titans are you know if they can keep Tannehill and Henry are going to be right up there the Colts as well too in my personal opinion will be better if they don't have Jacoby Brissett so a lot to figure out for Houston Um, and so you know now we move on to the last game Matt unless there was anything else you wanted to touch that I didn't cover in that game no I think we we hit it all Patrick Mahomes is a god He's he's the love of my life. Uh, so let's move on to, to Sunday night's game. This was by far uh, the closest matchup of the weekend. The Green Bay Packers defending their home field advantage, taking down the Seattle Seahawks 28 to 23. They jumped out to a 20. Oh, excuse me. They jumped out to a 21 to three lead into the half, jumped out to a 
Uh, it was 28-10 to 10 at one point, but then Russell Wilson does what Russell Wilson does. He storms back. They score 14 in the third quarter, 6th in the fourth quarter. It's a, it's a five-point game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has the ball, but he is able to do it twice, 3rd and 9, 3rd and 10 conversions to, you know, prevent any chance of Russell Wilson performing his magic. And, and the Green Bay Packers, look, they don't win easily. They don't win pretty. Every victory is ugly, and it was the same thing here. They advanced to the NFC Championship game. Uh, Matt, same as always, let's start this off with what are your general impressions from what we saw Sunday night? Um, Graham was down. <laughs> I think I think well, we have to start there. To me, well, you know, the elbow hit the ground, and, and they came out and they said, we got other video evidence, but it still wasn't conclusive, which I've never seen before. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, to me, the angle was that he was down and we were going to be seeing the Seahawks get another chance at the end zone there. Um, but obviously right. that's not that wasn't the case. So I don't know if you have so, any, anything to talk about with that. But Yes, I do. I have something real quick. Have you seen Devontae Adams' Instagram story? I have not seen his Instagram story. I'm going to send you this picture just to show you. So you'll see on the sideline, and I'm texting this to you right now so you can take a look, uh, the – the yellow line is an unofficial line. As always, it's not fully 100% accurate. And as you can see uh, in the picture that I'm sending to you, and, and if anyone's listening, you want to take a look, Schefter's tweeted it out. It's on Devontae Adams' story. Um, the the yard marker looks way more closer than the unofficial line to where it seems as though Graham, at the very least, touches that line to gain. And so I agree, it's a tough call to, to go that way. But if you take a look at that, it's not as um, up for debate as it was originally. But are we saying that, that, that red line, line, why is that red line considered the official line? I mean, I Because it, look where it touches see, at the end. But we can't it, see both no, sides of the field right now. Like, I know, but take a, take a look the where other, the pylon so could be is. Slanted. It could be slanted is what I'm saying. But look you at know, how it runs parallel to the yellow line. Are we saying both it? lines are slanted? Yeah, it runs parallel. It doesn't look go exactly go up and down parallel. that. That is, oh, it's a one hundred percent parallel. Where does it get any bigger or here. smaller? <laughs> look at where it is on the hash. Get your uh, protractor. To the right of the screen. Yeah, the hash on the right of the screen versus the hash uh, on the sideline. It looks like it's closer to the one on the right of the screen than it is. Um, but that's just further pile. away in the image. I, I, look, yeah, I get, I get we what we're saying this. with this argument. Yeah, yeah no, it, and and it, that is the biggest debate of this game. Um, look. To me, I err on the the call stands. I don't think there was enough to overturn it, especially if we're going by the yellow line. I don't think there's enough to overturn it. So, look, uh, it, it was a very close call and the one that ended up sealing the victory for the Green Bay Packers. Um, so, so yeah, I, I get what you're saying with that. It was a tough call to make, but I, I err on the side of, look, if there's not conclusive evidence to overturn it, I don't see why we would we would overturn something like that. And so, you know, fortunately for the Packers, it went their way. Unfortunately for the Seahawks, it went their way. But definitely, you know, a pivotal play in that game nonetheless. Overall, though, you know, you asked me just about the game in general. I mean, Mm -hmm. it just felt like Russell Wilson, you know, didn't really have the tools around him. You know, they were rushing has been, you know, their identity for years. And, you know, with no Chris Carson, no Rashad Penny, having to rely on guys like Marshawn Lynch and Travis Homer, you know, to to control the rushing game. I mean, Marshawn Lynch had 12 carries and averaged 2.2 yards a carry. I mean, you can you can argue part of that's the offensive line. and, And certainly in the passing game, it didn't perform well either. 
Russell Wilson took five sacks in the game. Um, but overall, you know, Carson was a force and, and Penny was really coming into his own before he got hurt. So, you know, that was a huge element of this Seahawks team was taken away. And I mean, injuries have really plagued this team all year. I don't know if anyone really expected them to make a super deep run into the playoffs. I mean, the fact that they won in the wild card round was, was surprising in its own right. Uh, with, with, I mean, obviously they were facing the Eagles, which was a team that hardly deserved to be in the playoffs, but you know, it, it also felt like another team that was dealt with, with so many injuries and that it could have gone either way. So it wasn't a guarantee that they were going to beat Philadelphia anyway. So the fact that they got this far amid all of the injuries that they faced, you know, that really to me shows like, the resiliency of Russell Wilson mm-hmm. and his ability to lead the team. I think really the biggest question mark now for the Seahawks going in the offseason has got, has got to be that secondary. You know, that you need yeah. to make some uh, huge step forwards in, in the secondary because that has just kind of been an issue for them all year and uh, honestly over the past two years. Yeah, and this is kind of where I was going, and it's not in the same sense because, I, you know, to me, I prefer Pete Carroll way more than I do Mike Zimmer, but. You know, Pete Carroll is a defensive-minded guy, and it's their defense that keeps allowing 28, 25 points. You know, they're consistently, you know, putting Russell Wilson down 10, down 14, where he's got to come back game after game. And I get that the talent might not all be there. It's not the Legion of Boom. It's not the same defense that he was, you know, able to just live off of always having a lead and, you know, not having to fall in too big of deficits. But it comes to a point where it's like, okay, you're, you're a defensive-minded guy, and your defense continually is allowing 25, 28-plus points a game. Um, it, they have a lot to address, you know, like you said, in the secondary itself, of course, on the defense as a whole. Um, you know, they were able to trade for Jadeveon Clowney. Quandre Diggs came in and wasn't, you know, awful. He was better than he was on the Lions this season. But I, I agree. They definitely have some defensive issues to take a look at. And, and I agree. Look, it, the Seahawks especially once the injuries came in, I think that this was the best that they could do. They were going to go as far as Russell Wilson could take them. And eventually, you know, their luck just ran out at this point. They, to me, this entire season, it was lucky win after lucky win, come from behind, come from behind, Russell Wilson making magic. And at a certain point, that's got to run out. And I know the the Packers haven't won pretty, but it's never been, they've kind of been the anti Seahawks where it's like they jump out to a big lead and then they allow the team to come back and that's kind of exactly what happened this game um, but mm-hmm. it, it was just uh, unfortunate to go into that big of a hole Russell Wilson had to pick him up out of it again but at the end of the day the Packers offense was able to do enough they're going to go to the NFC championship game and uh, I know we'll, we'll preview those two games coming up later this week but first thoughts Matt I think it's going to be a very exciting game I know we touched on it a little bit earlier um, there's a lot to go into this you know you've got you know, Matt LaFleur's little brother that is coaching Kyle Shanahan's staff. Uh, Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala are, are very good friends as well, too. Mike Pettin uh, was um, the head coach when Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator over in Cleveland way back in the day. A lot of, lot of ties on the coaching staff. Of course, Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if you knew this, but the 49ers passed up on the California kid during his draft, and he ended up in Green Bay. So interesting story there, too, if he you know, feels any sort of vengeance against them from being, you know, the the Northern Cali kid, quarterback at Cal, and then passed up by a California team. Um, so there's going to be a lot of fun storylines going into this game. To me, certainly the more exciting one over uh, the, the Titans and the Chiefs. Um, but look, I, I think for the Packers, 
realistically, if you take a look at this game, the biggest concern for me is the wide receiver two position. And and you can tell Rodgers really only has confidence in throwing right now to Devontae Adams. Maybe he gained some confidence in Jimmy Graham uh, as the game went on. He had two very big catches, of course, the one that, that eventually sealed the win for the Packers. Um, I'm a little worried about their wide receiver two position, but at the same time, the 49ers defense, Richard Sherman has been great lockdown number one corner, but Number two has kind of been a little bit of a hole, and that's how Stefan Diggs had that early touchdown. They were kind of picking on Witherspoon there as the number two corner throughout that game. So interesting to see that the biggest flaw in the Packers offense right now is also, you know, the bigger weakness of the 49ers defense. So interesting to see how that plays out. But what did you, how, how confident or how comfortable do you feel with the Packers? You know, they jump out to the early lead. Seattle comes back. They're able to put it away, but now they're, you know, going up against what might be the best team in football right now. How confident do you feel in Green Bay? Well, there is one other connection uh, that you didn't mention, and that's Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan were both Redskins assistants ah, at yes, one point who course. were uh, passed on in favor of Jay Gruden. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of right there, you know, Sean McVay also in that group, by the way, um, you know, the only way the Redskins are going to be mentioned in a playoff conversation is, is that. Um, so I, I always thought that was interesting and in how, you know, we've kind of been trending that way. Um, you know, I, I feel like at the start of the year, when everybody was talking about how LaFleur and Rogers might not get along, you know, that clearly isn't the case. I mean, you know, you don't have to like each other to work together. And I'm obviously not privy to what their personal relationship is like, but clearly the product on the field uh, has been successful. Obviously, Rodgers having to work uh, with guys outside of Devontae Adams, you know, when he was hurt and missed a couple of games, that was kind of an opportunity for somebody to step up and nobody did. And and that's really definitely, you know, the, the big concern for this offense. But that was also when we really saw Aaron Jones emerge uh, and he had two mm-hmm. touchdowns uh, in this game, um, has been a factor in the receiving game as well throughout the season. You know, only had one catch in this game, but uh, has had a couple of fantastic plays in the red zone uh, as a receiver as well. So, you know, you, you feel comfortable of using Devontae Adams and Jimmy Graham to get you down the field and, uh, you know, set the tone with, with uh, Aaron Jones, who's really the, the best running back that uh, Aaron Rodgers has ever had in his mm-hmm, career uh, running the ball with him at the helm. So, you know, he's able to open up the, the field a little bit, you know, if they're going to stack the box for Jones, which is, you know, not too, too often, uh, but they might include, you know, maybe an extra linebacker or something uh, in the, in that area so that they can kind of spy him and, and protect against the run. Uh, that's going to open up the field for, for Rogers a little bit. I would say that I don't think that Rogers is still the same guy that he was in his career. I, mm-hmm. I would say that he's kind of, uh, you know, shown the, the effects of age a little bit, but is he capable? Capable of winning a Super Bowl? Absolutely. Is he capable of going into San Francisco and winning a game? There's there's no doubt about it. Betting against Rodgers in the past hasn't worked out uh, numerous times um, overall. But I, I just feel like the, the 49ers are a freight train. And uh, the Packers, yeah. you know, we talk about they win ugly. And, you know, they, they jump out to early leads and they, you know, uh, kind of give up the, that which – is the thing with the 49ers is they're a team that really does set the tone with their defense in the running game. So if the Packers don't jump out to that early lead, you're going to have to see Rodgers pull you know magic out of thin air. And he's certainly capable of doing that. But we're going to need to see vintage Rodgers if that's going to happen. And it's just a question of does he still have that left in the tank? Right. I will say I agree with you. He hasn't had a great season and his mobility certainly is down a little bit. 
those third down throws, and there was another throw earlier. Oh, in the game they were too, incredible, beautiful. Yeah. So he still has his touch, and so you hope that maybe he can still, you know, reignite that for you know at least one, maybe two more games to get to a Super Bowl. Um, so that that remains there, but it definitely is going to be a very exciting matchup. You know, the the 49ers definitely have the better roster. They destroyed the Packers back in got it was it week six or seven earlier in the season. Just mauled yeah. them. Um, so now it's it now it's up to the Packers. Okay, what did you take from that game? What did you learn? How are you going to adjust to going up against what is you know probably the best roster in football right now? So uh, very exciting uh, NFC Championship game coming forward. Of course, the Chiefs and the Titans as well too. Um, so we'll preview that all on Thursday's episode. Uh, Matt, if there's anything else from this game that I forgot, uh, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? I know I've been asking you that a lot. No, I, I think that overall, um, you know, the Seahawks, like we said, are, are going to be entering an interesting offseason. Mm-hmm. You wonder how much time Pete Carroll has left right. uh, at the helm of the Seahawks. I mean, he's getting the team to the playoffs, uh, yeah. and I feel like this might be a bit of a more of a front office issue than it is Carroll necessarily. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, Carroll is pulling a lot of the strings there, so you can say part of that falls on him. Um, but at the same time, you know, Wilson just kind of hasn't had the the unit around him that allows him to succeed. And now we have a good wide receiver duo in Lockett and Metcalf. You're going into next year with with Penny back and uh, Chris Carson also returning from injury. So you're you're going to be at least having the skill positions taken care of. Uh, Hollister, Jacob Hollister, the the tight end who kind of emerged in the second half, will be a free agent. So maybe you think about bringing him back because you have Will Disley who'll be coming back. I believe it's an Achilles injury, mm-hmm. uh, but he just hasn't been able to stay healthy in his career. They've they've actually when he's healthy they've done well together but you know relying on him to play all 16 games might be a little bit too much so uh, maybe you think about bringing in another tight end uh, and obviously the offensive line could use some work and we, we mentioned the defense there's definitely a lot of holes on this team so the fact that the Seahawks got to the divisional round is impressive in its own right but uh, you do feel like you know Carroll's days might be numbered uh, if they don't, you know, make it back to another NFC title game soon. Oh yeah, so the the, the heat might be on for the Seahawks. They, like you said, they got to fix some things in this off season. Um, but Matt, one last question that I want to ask you before we wrap up this podcast: Who are you taking, LSU or Clemson tonight? <laughs> All right, so I'm going. Uh, I've hit Clemson money line. I took it uh, a couple a couple of days. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, not money line spread. Um, I got them. Okay. I got them at plus eight. I oh, got wow. them at plus eight. Mm-hmm. Um, back when it first opened, and uh, everybody has been hammering LSU, um, you know, to win to cover. Um, but I'm feeling pretty good about Clemson plus eight. I still feel like LSU is going to win, but I definitely right. think that. It, I mean, it's hard to judge Clemson this year just because of the ACC being so terrible. Yeah. And, uh, they really not playing anybody until the college football playoff uh, who is worth their salt. And even then, you know, Clemson brass uh, internally believe that Oklahoma was about the 15th best team in football, not the mm-hmm. fourth best. Uh, and, and that they just kind of got some of their wins, uh, luckily. Uh, so they... they you know, obviously showed that they were a, a league above Oklahoma in a lot of ways Ooh, uh, in that game, and Joe Burrow went uh, off. But mm-hmm. I, I will say that I think LSU will win, but I'm I'm taking Clemson to cover plus eight. Yeah, it's going to be a great game, nonetheless. I, I will say I think you know you take a look at who LSU has played this year. They they haven't had a guy like Trevor Lawrence, and I know they played Tua for a little bit of that game, and then he got banged up. He was banged up coming in. 
you know, they played Jake Fromm in the SEC title game. I'm not a big Fromm guy. They played Jalen Hurts in the, uh, you know, the first round of the college football playoffs. Not too high on him either. Trevor Lawrence is a bad, bad MFer, and he's never lost in his collegiate career. And so he's going into this game. He, he showed, of course, last week, he's got wheels, man, on that, what was it, 60-yard touchdown run. That, that adds another uh, level to his game, too. We're, we're, we're watching the first overall picks of this year's draft and next year's draft going head-to-head in the championship game. I'm excited to watch it. I, I am gonna, I'm, I'm going to go the same way as you. I'm going to say LSU wins, Clemson covers. I think it's going to be closer than LSU has you know, had to deal with this year, and I think it's you know, the best team overall that they're going to have to play this year, of course. So very interesting game coming ahead, but I agree with you. Uh, LSU wins, Clemson covers. Yeah, should be a fun one. We've had a mm-hmm. lot of good football this weekend Dude. Uh, with, obviously, the NFL playoffs. We have this game tonight, and, of course, we had the FCS title yeah. game uh, on Saturday, uh, which didn't end the way we hoped it would. It but, did not. Uh, it was a, a fantastic game, came down to the last play, so that's really yeah. all you can ask. Yeah, I felt bad for that senior class. There are a lot of guys in there that are just not even great players, but also great people as well, too. So, uh, unfortunate for JMU, they'll reload and be back. They actually just picked up a Minnesota transfer this morning. Uh, so, you know, they're already reloading on that defensive line. And so the Dukes will be back. I'm sure about it, but yeah, like you said, great weekend for football and to finish it off tonight. And, uh, and then we'll head into the conference championships. Yeah, and like you mentioned, we'll be back uh, mm-hmm. for our next episode later this week. I know we only had one last week, but yes. we'll uh, be back with two this week and hopefully hitting the two-a-week grind moving forward. And mm-hmm. we'll be able to talk some basketball and baseball, maybe some off-season stuff for baseball. I have lots of lots of takes oh, yeah. uh, on some of the, the moves that have gone down. And um, obviously, NBA season is in full swing. We meant to do a NBA All-Star ballot update last episode, but just didn't have time with how much football we went into so maybe we can dive into something like that yeah of course we'll cover all those other sports we'll cover the the championship games just quick previews of each and we'll we'll make our picks for who we think is going to the super bowl uh in the meantime make sure to follow all of our written content you can follow us on twitter i'm at blake andrew pace matt is at by matt wyrick um and uh, other stuff in there as well, too. Matt writes for NBC Sports Washington. Uh, make sure to check out my other podcast, Quick Hits, uh, NFL podcast. Got an episode coming out tomorrow. We're trying to get in. Matt, I'll tell you what. This dog takes up so much damn time of my life. I'm I'm trying to get in. <laughs> I'm trying to get in two to three podcasts a week there. So then I'm getting at least five a week between this show and the other. So, so making sure to yeah. get all that out there. So uh, I'll be talking probably some some Patriots outlook for the offseason. I want to talk Browns hiring Kevin Stefanski. So we'll get to all that. But make sure to follow us all over the place. Make sure to like and subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star review. Uh, You know, glad to be back in the schedule of getting two a week. We'll get one out this Thursday and keep rolling through the rest of the NFL postseason into the NBA regular season, NFL offseason, the draft. We've got all that coming here at Reasonably Outrageous. Uh, For Matt Wyrick, I'm Blake Pace. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you later this week.